I'm Greg McEwen, and I'm your host for the What's Essential podcast. In one sense, Matthew McConaughey requires no introduction. He's an A-lister in Hollywood. You have, I'm sure, almost certainly watched something that he's acted in. You've heard of him. You know of him. But this is a different side of him. He's recently written a memoir called Green Lights, looking back on the first 50 years of his life on Earth. But it's not like most memoirs, and it's certainly not like most of the memoirs written by people coming out of Hollywood, if I can say it that way. Listen to this two-part episode if you want to get an insider's view on what it takes not only to become successful, but to endure at the top four decades, to deal with the challenges of success, some of them unbelievable, and perhaps even break through to a higher contribution effortlessly. And after this episode, make sure to order your copies of both Effortless and Green Lights at the links in the description. So with that, let's begin with part one of Matthew McConaughey. I was going to ask you, how are you doing really? But then you started offering it anyway. So go. <laughs> and I was going to, as I always like to say, relatively speaking. I'm yeah. doing very well. No, in the last five minutes, it's why I've actually laid for this call. I just had something, uh, a little a little brand new chaos enter my life that is non-negotiable. So when we're done, I'll jump back into restoring order to that chaos as best I can. That's all I'll tell no, you. No. I'll be real obtuse like that. <laughs> uh, no, I get it. You, you are handling something right now. You don't want to deal with the specifics of it, but something has given you a curveball and you're having to... You know, you're having to now deal with the situation. A major curveball, and then not the kind of curveball like, "Oh, the dog just pooped in the yard in front or in the kitchen." No, it was a, ni- a nice major curveball that I'll deal with. And you know what? We'll re-record this the next time we talk, and you'll go. So, how was the solution to that? And then I can probably tell the the live story. Yes, because because it's it's tricky in the midst of it. You've got different people's feelings. You've got your own emotions. And this, this is a big enough one that, and I don't mean to say this in any, because I don't mean in any unprofessional way, but it's like hard to actually not be thinking about that right now. It's a big enough thing. Yeah, this will be another one of the things that'll be a test here. I'll do my best to be present with you. I've got information that may be popping in on other, on other uh, <laughs> texts and stuff, or someone may knock on the door, but it should be a lively conversation, no matter if we get interrupted or not. Is what you're dealing with right now sufficient that you think if you write another memoir, at a hundred, this story could make it in. Is it of that proportion? It's of the, it's of that proportion to the extent that this might just be, you know, just when you think a comedy show's over, mm. and you think you've heard the punchline, <laughs> and it's and, and and the curtain's about to close. The curtain just got back opened back up into Esther's Follies here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I haven't shared with my wife or anyone else because it's not a matter that is like, if I had to deal with it like at this second, I'd have to say, hey, man, we'll have to do this later, Greg. But it's right. something that when we're off in 45 minutes, nothing will have changed. I just found out new information when you find out that something is absolutely opposite, scientifically opposite of what you were relying on and what you were told you had a 99.9% chance to rely on. So you planned your future for that and all those moving parts. And the one thing, that 0.01% chance (laughs) that could have come up (laughs) that you've been putting together for months, 
just reared its little head. So the comedy continues. And this could be a good enough one that shows up in another book. Yes. So I'm doing something that we talk about in the book, though, right now. I am uh, doing something that I think I'm very happy that I'm that I'm finding myself doing this because I've done plan on it. I'm laughing. I am laughing because what just happened is is completely outlandish. Now, I'm on the phone. I'm on talking with you because, as I said, I can't do anything about it right now that I cannot do. It's not going to get worse in the, the amount of time you and I talk by the time. Right. Right? It's not going to change the circumstances. Right. If that was that, I'd go handle it right now and I'd have to jump into that mode. So it's inevitable that it's happened. Right. And what has happened is clear. It's scientific. It's not up for discussion. Um, it's mathematics. And so <laughs> I have no emotion about it besides it sucking. And I'm going to have to throw up, up, up into my plans <laughs> and many others. But I'm laughing because there you go. I mean, I talk about it a lot in the book. We know it. We know it in life. You make plans. You get it all secure. All of a sudden, life interrupts with different plans. And to laugh at it right now, I'm actually going to be able to. I'm already going to be able to deal with it better. I'm not belittling the crisis that I'm in by laughing my ass right. off at it right now. Right. I'm just going like, well, here we go. Okay. Um, anyway, so maybe that's a good end on 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 stuff that we can talk about because I am a big fan of sense of humor. And the problem with sense of humor, most people say when you're dealing with the crisis is they think it belittles the crisis or denies right. the crisis. I am in no way denying the real crisis that I just got presented in my life, but I am going to laugh my way through this SOB while I break a sweat trying to handle it. <laughs> Well, I, I, the thing that comes to me as you're doing this is it's like you, you, there are things you can't control. There's something you can control. How you are emotionally processing it, you can make it worse. You can make a bad situation worse, or you can not make it worse by having, you know, as you say, a sense of humor about it. I got to deal with the same pile of you know what either way. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So I'm going to go ahead and decide to giggle my way through this and hopefully. Also, you know, when you're the one, the point person that goes to deliver the bad news, <laughs> how you deliver it, I don't want to get everyone else going, oh, no, you know, right. I want everyone else to kind of be going like, what? Are right. you serious? And I'm going to be like, yep. How about that? Tally that one up. <laughs> Never saw that yeah. one coming. Yeah. We're, in a sense, completely off script and a completely on script uh, because I mean, I, I mean, I just finished a book called effortless. And one of the things that I really felt drawn to with it is the idea of maintaining an effortless state and getting yourself back into an effortless state as fast as possible. And so when I read green lights, I actually had definitely like a kind of a, a linkage moment where I'm like, look, I think what Matthew is talking about with green lights is this same idea of being in an effortless state where you're mm. not so overforcing it. So freaking out about something that you can't be in a place where good things can start to happen to you and for you. I'm with you on that. But let I think the paradigm we got to shift here is effortless does not mean, oh, take it easy. Right. Oh, don't do the work. Oh, don't break a sweat. Oh, don't lean into resistance. Oh, don't seek uncomfortable things. Oh, don't go get in there and get your hands dirty and deal. Our minds go, oh, well, that's effort. No, what I'm saying, <laughs> and I think we're agreeing with here is like, Life, the inevitability of life is that it takes effort. So since that's inevitable, when we go in to do something that's hard that we need to give effort to, going, well, I got to do this. So I'm going to do it with pleasure or I'm going to laugh through this conflict, but handle it the same way is embracing the fact that life's not easy. So it's effortless in the fact of going, 
oh my God, instead of going, no, I can't believe I got to do this. That's the wrong kind of effort because it does not do anything to help solve the problem anymore or get the job done. And it's just not constructive. And plus, it's kind of being mean to yourself. I started a little practice myself recently where I said, okay, after I complain, then I will say something I'm thankful for, like linking those two things together. And what I learned immediately was how much I complain, <laughs> like way more than I realized before. And I think of myself as positive and so on, but all of a sudden I realized it's, it's with me so much more than, than before and, and how, how important it is to just try and quickly get back to, uh, to a state. So, I mean, I think so that you can be in this green lights mechanism. Let me ask you this. Did it, in any part of that exercise you went through, did any part of that make you see, oh my gosh, I'm thankful for so many of these things I'm complaining about? Ooh, that's another level. I'm thankful that I'm in a position to have these many things to complain about. You know what I mean? I mean, there's certain things, I mean, yeah. let's go necessities, luxuries. You know, so many times we complain about things that are actually not necessities. We right. just break it down. Food, water, shelter. After that, we're in the black if you really want to baseline the situation, right? And so everything after that's basically lanyap, which is a French word for a little extra. Is that fair, you think? I'm with you so much on this. Yeah, it's totally fair. And I think it's, it's that almost all of the complaints are problems of abundance. There's a few places I really wanted to talk to you about. And one of them is right where we are in this conversation. One of the stories I thought was fascinating in the book was the moment that fame happened. Yeah. The moment you acknowledged it, the moment you knew about it. Before the movie comes out, you're walking down the street, three or four people notice you. Take it from there. Give it give us that great story. It's a Friday afternoon film, A Time to Kill, that I am the lead in of Warner Brothers Studio Picture based off of John Grisham novels opening up tonight. I walked in the promenade in Santa Monica. 400 people on the promenade. I walk down this promenade all the time. Go to get my tuna fish sandwich with an extra pickle and some ketchup. 400 people on this promenade, 396 mind their own business. Four of them checking me out. Three, a couple, few girls think I'm cute. One guy likes my shoes. I go have my tuna fish sandwich, pickle, ketchup, go home. I come back Monday, same time, about one in the afternoon. Now, since last Friday I was there, Time to Kill opened successfully Friday night, all day Saturday and Sunday. Ah, it's a hit. (laughs) I walk down that same promenade Monday, 400 people in the promenade, everything inverted, 396 staring at me, four of them not, and one of those four is blind. I'm like, hmm, look, we're on my nose, fly open, what's going on, very self-conscious, the world's now a mirror, why are they all looking at me, someone's coming up, how's Miss Hud? And I'm like, whoa, number one, you're a stranger, Who, how'd you know I had a dog, how'd you know her name was Miss Hud, how'd you know she had cancer? I remember in that moment going, oh, it's from the movie that was out this week. It's from A Time to Kill. You were the lead. People saw it. Now, oh, wow. How cool is this? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. It was all of that in one moment. That fast. And it was in that, I felt it in that moment. And trust me, all of a sudden, the, the, the roof of options just went like that above my head. And so... All of a sudden, there was less less gravity, and yeah, I was like, "Whoa, I'm having trouble feeling my feet on the ground." <laughs> the roof just got taken off. 
that same Friday before Time to Kill came out, there's 100 scripts I want to do. The answer for those 100 scripts I want to do, 99 no, one yes. Now Monday, same, this just over that weekend, 100 scripts I want to do, 99 yes, please, one no. Whoa, awesome. Yes, I can do what I want. Any of these? Thank you. Uh-oh. What do I do? <laughs> what, 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 what do you mean? Less than three days ago, I would have done anything to do any of these scripts and couldn't do any of them. You wouldn't let me. And now three days later, you're telling me, please do every one. There's not enough time. I don't, you want me to, oh, you want me to decide. You want me to look at all those ones, all those that I couldn't do three days ago, that I would have done anything to do any of them. And you want me to look at those discerningly? You want me to actually look, take my time and read each one and decide which one I really want to do? Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So, yeah, that's when it happened. It happened over a weekend. And in looking back, I made a very good choice to get the hell out of Dodge and go spend some time with me <laughs> in a place where nobody knew my name and they didn't speak the language just so I could catch my breath, let memory catch up, try to uh, try to get stabilized in the situation, try to get stabilized. And, OK, here's what's happened. The world has shifted for me and all of these options are not coming. Who am I going to be in it? What matters? What doesn't? What do I really want to do? Hard question to answer me at that time because I was numb with all of the new frequency of things that I could do for the first time. It sounds like the, you know, the right problem to have, but that doesn't make it less of a problem. Fact. Yeah, it, it was, it's an awesome problem to have. A hundred percent awesome. But no, you, you, I'm not, you can't belittle that it's, a, that it's an actual real crisis of well, now what do I do? Great problem to have. <laughs> you, someone says you can do whatever you want to do. Awesome. Now, now what? what? There's language for this uh, in essentialism is the paradox of success. You get clarity. For you, it was acting was like the thing. It leads eventually to success because you're so focused. You know what it is and what you don't want to do. You get the success, and that breeds all of these options. And if you're not careful, it leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. I think that's what happens yes. to a lot of people who suddenly hit fame and success and they don't do what you did, which I know you weren't doing it for these reasons, but just for essentialism language, you, you chose to be an essentialist, to step back and to say, okay, of all these options, who am I? What am I? What am I trying to achieve? What am I not trying to achieve? A lot of people don't do that. Seems like it comes at a high cost. Your thoughts? Well, 100%. And let me tell you this. When I went away on the, my walkabout with myself, I didn't come out of there going, clarity, I know exactly what I want to do. What I did come out of there with is... Well, I have a much greater sense of what I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. My process of elimination. Mm -hmm. I took some time to say, understand who I am to the extent more by understanding who I don't want to be, who I'm not. And so that cut a lot of the chafe off. And not only in fame or fortune, but in life. Boy, it's hard to know what the hell we want to do. Mm -hmm. Well, or hard to know who we are. You know, take a little pressure off. Go figure out, let it rise of who you're not. Who you say, no, mm -hmm. I won't be that. I don't stand for that. I don't believe in that. Because those mm -hmm. are easier to put a pin on. And if you cut that off mm -hmm. enough, all of a sudden, by process of elimination, by sheer mathematics, what lies in front of you? A much higher percentage of things that do feed who you are and what you actually want to do because you cut the chafe of who you're not.
if the best thing in life is to know what you do want, the next best scenario is to know what you don't want. That's what I heard you say. Yeah. And I think that we usually get to know what we want, especially younger in age, by defining what we don't want first. Mm-hmm. Because in our older in age, you get a little more, you know, a little more culture. You get a more, you customize, you get to know yourself. You get a more of an identity. I, I'm much more playing offense mm-hmm. now. It's like, no, I know what I want. I'm going what I want. I'm funneling things in a general direction and I can more quickly measure, does that fit in my funnel of where I'm going? No, it doesn't. Uh, uh-uh, It's out. But I've, it takes years to create that. And I built that. But the whole point you're saying is that it was a process of elimination that led to that greater level of clarity over time. Yeah, well, here's the other thing that the process of elimination will do for you. You may not thrive, but you're not going to fall, break your leg and be out of the race. Yeah, that's interesting. I can't passionately tell you from my soul why I want to do this and why this is me. But you know what? The math adds up and that looks like that won't be in the red. That that It could probably be in the black for me or at least be even money. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be a debit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go backwards with this decision. So sometimes it's about, hey, I'm going to keep my head above water. I had times of numbness when I first got famous where if I look back at those interviews I gave, they're such boring interviews. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I was still a little numb with my newfound fame. And so I would just tell myself, I don't know how to, I'm afraid to be really colorful as now I have more confidence to be really colorful. And I'm afraid to be really colorful. So just be a gentleman and don't lie. Okay. <laughs> do, like a defense mechanism. Or if you just right. do that, you're not going to step in, you know what, you're not going to, and, and you may not give the, 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 the best interview. You may not evolve the idea of who you are and, and you're not, may not be becoming in the public eye, but, you're solid. You're not going backwards. And so part of it is just like, hold the head over water here until I get my feet on the ground, until I get to land and go, okay, now I think I know what I want to do. I'm taking the idea to them. But but you're saying something that I think is important and profound, which is that however you got to it, intuitively or otherwise, you said, look, let me avoid the stupid things. Right. L- let me operate in a way that I don't get pulled into some negative, really damaging self-cycle, which, I mean, you know, you don't have to be an insider in Hollywood to observe that. It's it's sort right. of almost the story. People work so right. hard for success, they're not prepared for it when it happens. And, and you're giving a strategy for like, well, how to avoid that. You're not describing a strategy that ensures breakthrough success in the future, but you are describing a strategy that helps you to avoid breakthrough failure. <laughs> if yeah, that's the right look, term. <laughs> I remember Don Phillips, who I talk about in the story, the casting director who cast me in my first role in Days of Confused, whose couch I slept on when I first moved to Hollywood. He was always I remember him saying this earlier on. He was like, he was like, Matthew, here's the secret to this, 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 this business. Lean horse, long ride. Now, let's unpack that a minute. Mm. I get famous from a time to kill. I'm in the game. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Now you know, my star is shining bright, white, hot light. The next two decisions, Amistad, Contact, my star dips. I go work with Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. Robert Zemeckis, and big studio films, but I'm kind of the two or the three lead. I chose the, a, a philanthropic film that I thought stories that mm-hmm. needed to be shared with the world. I didn't want to do things that were about me. I didn't have the identity to go, no, I want the tour de force role right now. I said, like, no, I want to be a part of great stories. 
Mm-hmm. And I um, am happy with those decisions. But my star dip people came to me like, why'd you choose that, that those roles? I had plenty of others that were mm-hmm. leading man roles. Take the baton. You're the lead. Take us. But they weren't in stories that I cared about as much. Now, my star dips mm-hmm. doesn't dip to where I'm out. It does dip, though, to where now leads and dramas start to not kind of come my way. I go do some, start doing some romantic comedies, have a great time doing those. Those get so successful with me in the lead role that now those dramas that I want to do are even further in the rearview mirror because, no, you're the rom-com guy. Studios are even saying, you're the rom-com guy. And then you have that mm-hmm. story in the book that I tell. I took mm-hmm. off. I, again, process of elimination. I knew what I wanted to do. But I believed I could supply it, but nobody, a studio wasn't going to pay for me to do what I wanted to do. They didn't want Matthew McConaughey in a lead role of the dramas that I wanted to do. So I said, if I can't do what I want to do, I'm going to stop doing what I've been doing. And that's when I took that two-year sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Said no to the rom com mm-hmm. unbranded, found anonymity again, and then rebranded. And again, when, they, when the dramas came to me, I, I just latched onto them with fierce fangs. And went and did what I wanted to do. Well, you said something great. I mean, that one that one line, right? Lean horse, long road. There's a whole um, volume in that idea. And and to use a different phrase, it's like the disciplined pursuit of less but better. Let's right. be careful and thoughtful so that we can go on for a long time. Yeah. Have longevity in a field that is u- almost universally known for being the opposite. Right. But there's another thing I wanted to ask you about. I want to go to the very end of the book for a second. I mean, I love that you keep the journal and notes and so on over the years, and and it helps for this reflection and self-reflection. But you came across a note, 10 things that you wanted to do in life. Yep. And uh, I want you to tell me about that, but then I have a follow-up question about it. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. So 
I'm going through my journals in writing this book. I come across this journal from 1992. And I come across this thing that says 10 goals in life. And I read them and it kind of shook me, shook me to my core pretty good because I've either achieved or am in the midst of achieving all 10 of those goals. And consciously, I forgot I ever wrote them. I never looked at that list after the night I wrote. I remember the night I wrote it. I was in the top bunk at my fraternity house. When I saw it last year, 2020, I remember the night I wrote it in 1992, about 10.30 at night, right before I went to bed, I wrote down 10 goals. I remember writing it, laying down in my top bunk by this little window right here. I think I'd just taken a pinch hit or something and just wrote it down and went to sleep. Never looked at it again. Never consciously remember saying, well, remember those 10 goals. Never saw that piece of paper again until last year when I was starting to write the book. And I look at it, I'm like, wow. And some of the goals are extremely, extremely particular. <laughs> Number eight is extremely particular and precise. I want to read them. Do you know them? Do, could you pull them from your memory now? You read them. I, I wouldn't remember them right now. One, become a father. Two, find and keep the woman for me. Three, keep my relationship with God. Yeah. Four, chase my best self. Yeah. Five, be an egotistical utilitarian yeah six take more risks seven yeah. stay close to mom and family eight yeah. win an oscar for best actor nine uh, look <laughs> back and enjoy the view uh, ten yeah. just keep living i'm in the midst of achieving all those and some i specifically have achieved so when I say I forgot, I wrote it down. Well, obviously I didn't forget, did I? Subconsciously. Was I, you know, and I look back at when I wrote that. Look at two things that were happening in my life. I just had started and worked on my first role as an actor. Now, I didn't know if that was a one-off hobby for that summer and I'd ever do it again. But evidently I kind of did, didn't I? Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes me think of when I read that story and hear you talk about it is something a professor once said to me, they said, goals are the theory that work. And what he meant was they work so well, they almost work too well sometimes because of their autopilot nature. That if you're not careful, you can pick up somebody else's goals yeah. without really thinking about it and now pursue for a long time something that, that isn't even important to you. And you don't even know you're doing it. But in this case, you see the very positive example of it. I have one more question about that. I wonder, what are your 10 today? Off the top of your head. Off the top of my head. Well, look, and I've thought about this. I, I'm 51 years on this earth right now. All right, I wrote that when I was 20, well, I don't know, 21, 22. So when I say I am in the midst of achieving those goals, if you look at most of those goals, relationship with God, my family, my mom, find and keep the woman for me, be a father. Those are all verbs. I have it. I'm in the midst of it. I haven't accomplished those. I'm in the midst of accomplishing those. All right. So I don't have a new list of 10 goals for me. Part of growing 
older, if we're in the midst of hopefully becoming who we, we want to become, is you have daily maintenance, maintenance and t- attendance on the goals that you started. Yeah. My, you know, fatherhood's a verb. I've got kids 12, 11, and 8. As we all know, making the baby, as soon as I, as soon as I helped make the babies, didn't mean I checked that thing off my list. I become a father. No, I'm in the midst of that. And that will go on for the rest of my life. In a very intense way, it'll go on for at least 18 years while my kids are in the household and I'm the father of them in the household. Right. Find and keep the woman for me. Well, I believe I found the woman for me now to keep her. That goes two ways. It's not just about possession. It's about, can I help and assist her be the most her for herself? Can mm-hmm. she help and assist me be the mm-hmm. most me? The same man that she fell in love with, the same woman that I found in love. With. Yes, we'll grow and evolve. Mm-hmm. But both of us, and I tell this story in the book, when I asked her, what do I have to do to lose you? She said, change. Well, if she asked me the same question, I'd tell her the same answer, change. So keeping, helping her become and remain the most herself as possible is constant maintenance. Her helping me become and stay the, ma- the same man I am, the best of myself, truest of myself, is constant maintenance, keeping us together. So that's the good, that's work that I'm, those are gardens I'm tending. My relationship with God, I have times where I go, oh my gosh, when's the last time you, oh, you skipped church again, did you? Huh. Yeah, you're kind of feeling a little vapid there. There's a reason. You had you, you need to go bend a knee, McConaughey. Maybe I'm feeling Either like I'm all up number one and I'm, I'm the cat's meow and I don't, you know, I, I don't need that spirituality relationship with God at the moment or, or vice versa, feeling down in the dumps. I got to tend that garden. Mm-hmm. I understand my why mm-hmm. of where I'm going. What I'm working on now, my new challenge is to define the how. And, you know, a lot of times in life, it's the opposite. You know how you just going to got to define the why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's problems I'm trying to solve. Um, there's I'm be- I believe there's a way to build better human beings, including myself. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a way to inspire individuals mm-hmm. to take agency for themselves, to be ministers of their own personal culture, to take that agency, to look themselves in the mirror, to say, I'm going to take one step closer to chasing my transcendent self, to being a little bit more true, a little bit better tomorrow. Yes, I appreciate policy. And I'm so glad that the leader I voted for is in office, if that's the case. But I understand that they none of these people or belief, if you're a believer, people go, well, I'm just trusting in God. No, they can't do it for us. So I'm all for the self-determining individual. And if enough of us Choose that. That's the collective change that I think we need as a people, as a species moving forward, because we're in a space right now where we got a choice. We could evolve or devolve. And people would go, well, it's been a big de-evolution in the last year. Well, I would say when great evolution starts, it starts with what seems to be an absolute destruction of things. So let's build. Where are we going from here? That why that that I believe is needed and that I can be useful in that arena is clear to me. How? That's what I'm dealing with. That's my mirages right now that I need to define. Define for me just in, in like a, a sentence or two, if you can, what is your why? Just give me, you kind of just did it, but just give me like a shorter statement. Inspire people to, to believe and understand and know measurably that the choice you make today has compounding assets in your future. Understand delayed gratification a little bit. There's a way to fill your bank account and your soul's account at the same time. What's best for me can be best for we. 
What's best for you can be best for we. What's best for we can be best for me. What is the most selfish choice can be the is the most selfless choice. What is the most selfless choice is the most selfish choice. But those are not contradictions. And like, give me it one more time, half the words. What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> what is your why? My why? Um, sing the music of life. Sing the music of life. It, I like it. I want you now, but I do kind of want you to unpack it. Sing the music of life. Okay. Remind, inspire individuals to understand that there's nobody that they should get to know better. Nobody more fun to chase, to investigate than themselves. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Get some ROI on you Mm -hmm. and real ROI on you. True ROI, true residuals Mm. in life. Don't just pay you back. They also pay the most amount of people back. You're saying you are an asset worth protecting and investing in. Yeah, invest in yourself. Even if it's a character thing, I'm not just talking about a bank account. Sure. Invest in yourself. Take some time to get to know yourself. We're different. I'm not a subscriber to the, oh, we're all the same. To get there, we have to decide on common denominator of values we can all agree on and have the social expectations of each other. But we're all different. We have different innate abilities. Check out those. Lean into those. See what those are. See if you can create something, if you can use them in a way that, the world can have some sort of demand for that innate ability that you have, that you're also willing to hustle mm-hmm. for, that you're willing to go educate yourself mm-hmm. for, get an education for, to supply something that the world can demand. Because yes, I'm not talking about kumbaya. I'm 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 a great spiritual person. I've got a great family, but I'm broke. No, I'm talking. We want to fill the bank account too. It's a for profit proposition. I think we need to redefine profit. Mm-hmm. I think we need to redefine what currency is. I think we need to redefine what success is. In the long term, if we could just have a little bit of understanding of foreshadowing of the delayed gratification of when we get our payback, because we so are obsessed with the result of right now. One of the themes in what you just said, I think, is it connects with you and your wife and now also what you your why is for the people. If I could summarize a theme, it would be become more and more of who you really are and less and less of who you really are not. Be more selfish. And I, my pastor and many friends tell me you are pushing a big rock up a steep hill when you're trying to tell people to be more selfish. And I'm saying, I'll take that. I'm going with it because I believe in it. We've got to redefine what selfish means. Be more, be more selfish. And in, in, in so many things today we can look at, or selfish has a bad name. It's gotten a bad rap. It usually means I've got mine at the expense of you not getting yours. I'm not talking about that selfish. That's an old definition. There's a place where we can make a choice that is best for us that happens to be best for the most amount of people. It's actually giving. Let me throw this at you. I'm working on this, this lineage, this mathematics. I believe generosity breeds gratitude. Mm -hmm. The more generous I am to you, the more generous you are to me, I'm thankful. You're thankful. I'm even thankful that I'm being generous to you. (laughs) Gratitude breeds responsibility. 
Why? Because the more we're thankful for, the more we're giving value to more things, the more we want to tend their garden. We want to take care of that. I value that. I'm giving thanks to that. So I value Mm -hmm. that. I'm going to take care of that. My kids, my work. That breeds responsibility. And that that responsibility breeds freedom. You mentioned earlier your father and him passing away. But before that, there was a really key moment in some in you making a decision, right, to decide from the Latin means to cut or to kill, right? You are making a decision to not pursue what you'd gone to university for originally, what everyone was telling you to do. And instead, you wanted to pursue this path of being an actor. And the person you were most concerned about talking to is your father. Tell us that story. Yeah. So I'm raised in a blue collar household where you get a job, you work your way up the ladder. Right. And I was a great debater in the family and loved to stand on top of the chair and debate, defend, prosecute. And I said, well, you're going to become a lawyer. I love that idea. Yes. All I was ever sort of expected to be or thought I'd be. Well, end of my sophomore year in college, I start to not sleep well with the idea of becoming a lawyer. I start to go, I'm going to graduate. I got to go to law school. I'll get out, maybe get an intern. I won't be getting a mark on society, whatever mine will be, until I'm in my 30s. I don't really want to spend my 20s just getting educated to become a lawyer. I want to try something that I can see if I can make a mark now. Well, I had been writing short stories mm-hmm. and sharing them with some friends that were actually were film students. They're like, these are these are good. And then also had some friends go, hey, you thought about being in front of the camera. You got good character. You're a good looking guy. Try that. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe I you know, that, that false humility of going like, well, that actor, that was too avant-garde of an idea. Well, I get the courage to say, you know, I do want to go to film school. I want to go into the storytelling business. And now I'm going to call my dad who's paying for school. I'm very nervous about this call because I think my dad's going to go, you want to do what, boy? I ain't paying for that, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I pick out a time. It's 730 Tuesday night. He'll be home from work. He'll have had dinner. He's on the couch with mom having a beer. Catch him in a good mood. So I make that phone call. He answers the phone. He said, what's up, monkey man? I said, oh, Pop, I've been thinking. And um, you know what? I don't want to go to law school anymore. I want to go to film school. Now, I've got a bead of sweat running down the back of my neck thinking that I'm about to hear, what the hell are you talking? Instead, he listens for a second and then goes, well, are you sure that's what you want to do? And I said, yes, sir. Really quickly and clearly. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Another five-second pause. And then he says, well, don't half-ass it. <laughs> and I lit up. Tears filled my eyes on the other end of the phone line. He gave me more than approval. He gave me more than privilege. He gave me accountability, responsibility, and a kick in the backside of freedom. And, you know, I've deconstructed that moment back. One, the value of don't half-ass it <laughs> is something I think we can all take around in our pocket. Uh, it, 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 everywhere. It never really goes out of style. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, you know, as parents or as governments, go- any governing sort of entity, we have structure, we have rules. You do follow the rules and you go up the ladder. And if you follow those rules, you're probably going to succeed and you can do well. They'll keep you from harm and you can succeed. But what do we really, really, really love as parents? And what do we really, really applaud as governments and businesses. When our child or when an entrepreneur steps out of the form and says, I'm going my own way and I'm not asking permission, Mm -hmm. 
My dad heard of my voice when I said, I, I don't want to go to law school. I want to go to film school. He heard the tone. If I'd have been like, well, you know, I was thinking, dad, you know, I, I think maybe I want it. If he'd have heard that, he'd have already <laughs> known I wasn't convicted. He'd have known I was bluffing. He'd have known that I hadn't done my own personal right. due diligence to make my damn mind up, but I was giving him the courtesy to call and go, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm posing it to you in a question form, dad, but he heard my voice. And that's why he goes, you sure that's what you would do? And how quickly I came back and went, yes, sir. That I didn't pause and go, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I think he knew I wouldn't bluff him. And so in that moment, the mm-hmm. conversation took 15 seconds and he says, don't half ass it. In that moment, he was inside, I'm sure, going, Katie, his wife, my mom, we raised him all right. He came to me and said he's going his own way and he's not really asking me permission. He's not bluffing. It's what he's going to do. So, yes. But I say to to myself and the people out there, when you do want to step outside of the lines and make your own way, don't come a bluffing because the world is sitting there to you have to pass initiation. Mm. The world is formed to compress you back down. I always say this. I was told this great story in, in the industry I'm in, the acting industry. Joel Schumacher, director of Time to Kill, told me, he goes, hey, they ain't no help wanted signs in Hollywood. The guards at the gates are not there to keep you in. They're there to keep you out. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, essentialists, one and all, we've come to that moment again, the end of the show. Thank you really sincerely for listening. It's been amazing to see what's happened already with this show. The show has become, in fact, the top 3% of podcasts globally within just the first five months of its launch. And that's because of you. You have made this special. And I want to end, as I always do, reminding you that if you don't do anything else, just ask what's essential and eliminate as much as possible everything else. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.